0: Happy anniversary, Fourth Line Theatre. Happy anniversary,
1: Fourth Line Theatre. Happy anniversary, Fourth Line. Happy anniversary,
2: Fourth Line
1: Theatre. Hello, my fellow
3: theatre lovers. Welcome to Treading the Barn Boards, tales from a farm-turned theatre on the Fourth Line of Millbrook. I'm Meg Murphy, and I have the pleasure of escorting you on an audio celebration of the 30th anniversary of Fourth Line Theatre. 30 years of creating original, Compelling work outside in the elements in a 200 year old barn for 17,000 audience members every season. That is no easy feat. How did a dilapidated barn become a nationally regarded theater? We'll talk to the folks that helped make it happen the actors, directors, playwrights, designers, the lions, tigers, and bears. Oh my! Now, if you're a fourth line regular, I hope you enjoy the walk down memory lane. And we'll pull back the curtain and reveal a few stories you've never heard before. And if you're new to 4th Line, welcome. We're glad you're joining us. Here, come here. Come with me. Lean in. I want to introduce you to someone. This is my friend Rob. It's very interesting. Rob, how have you been spending your time recently?
4: I mean, I spend most of my time... I I do. I spend most of my time studying history. And I probably have for many decades now.
3: That's Rob Winslow. He's the founder of 4th Line Theatre. Interesting guy, right? Oh, and, you know, he's also the owner of Winslow Farm, the magical land upon which Epic Theatre is created. It's not the actual mission statement of the company. I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, technically the mandate of Fourth Line Theatre is.
5: Is to preserve and promote our Canadian cultural heritage through the development and presentation of regionally based, environmentally staged historical dramas.
3: Yeah, okay, that sounds much better. That's Kim Blackwell. She's the Managing Artistic Director and has been with the company for 28 of its 30-year history. She's also a very smart and talented boss lady. Congratulations, Fourth Line. That's 30 years of creating projects that connect the community to their own history, their own stories. 30 years of bringing young people and professional artists and community elders together to make something out of nothing. To transport and transform us. Well done, you! Well, like any great story, Fourth Line Theatre started with the spark of an idea. Here's Rob Winslow again.
4: I really did come out into that barnyard, and the buildings were in really bad disrepair. And uh, I guess good disrepair, bad repair. (laughs) And uh, I actually looked into the field, and I saw kind of a scene from the play. And that was really the moment, you know, the Eureka moment of saying, this is where I should do this play.
3: That play, written by Rob, was The Cavan Blazers. And it's the show that put Fourth Line on the map. But, but but, wait a second. He just said that the farm was in bad disrepair. Or good disrepair, depending on how you want to look at it. Let's quickly get caught up on the history of this farm before the Eureka
4: moment. To the best of my understanding, my family came there in the 1840s, let's say. Um, as far as I know, my great-great-grandfather was a school teacher. He came from uh, south of Enniskillen, the town of Enniskillen, in the county of Fermanagh, and what was then Ireland, and now is Northern Ireland. My great-grandfather, whose name was Blaney Winslow, it goes back to a, a famous battle and where this Lord Blaney was involved, and somehow the name got into our family and stayed in it for hundreds of years. That's all I really know about that. Um, but apparently my great grandfather was not that great at business and he had a little bit of a maybe a drinking problem and, and at some point in the game, in the mid to late eighteen hundreds, the farm went from it went kind of out of out of his line to a cousin, Arthur. So at some point, my my father's line didn't have the farm anymore. But my grandfather, this would be Blaney's son somehow got the farm back after the first world war and my dad who would have been about 10 or 11 or 12 and my grandfather fred they borrowed the money to buy it and then eventually they got the mortgage paid off by the the end of the great depression and they were able to keep the farm and and all i remember i never remember my grandfather he died when i was two but all i remember about my father and his life, my grandfather's life. Before they were just they were strictly farm people, and my apparently my grandfather was a very easygoing man who liked to whistle and was very friendly and kind. My dad was a bit more of a stressy individual, and but my dad was very enterprising. He grew up during the Great Depression, so he learned. He worked for an undertaker. He used to slaughter cattle. He sold paper products. Uh, he he was worked for a guy that sold tractors and chainsaws. So. He did whatever he could to make ends meet my father died in in 1975 and my mother for some reason decided to try to keep the farm and hang on to it which was really lucky for me that she did and uh, whether she had some sense that someday there would be some use for it beyond just the farming because that was kind of going down at that time and even though she was very ill like for the last two or three years of her life she died in 1990 because that farm had stayed in, you know, we kept the farm, it allowed me to, uh, to have this idea about making a theatre out of it, which has now been another 30 years of, of history.
3: Come on, that's pretty cool, right? From Ireland with a dream for a better life, to a working farm, to losing the farm, to buying the farm again, to hard work, to loss, to an era of a new creative legacy. Doesn't it kind of make you wish you could time travel and talk to those ancestors and just let them know how it all worked out? Hmm. So you know, you can't make something like Fourth Line Theatre happen alone. It takes a village to raise a barn.
1: We've known Robert for years. I think you met him at Trent.
5: I, uh, Yeah. I was still in, in school, so yeah, it was bef- yeah. well before Fourth Line started. And,
1: and I met him then and got to know him. We lived in Vancouver very briefly and came back to Peterborough, and I worked at building City Stage, which was used, later was called the Union Theatre. And we did a, a winter of plays there, um, and Robert was in that. So, yeah, that's like 1981. So we've known Robert for years, and Robert always talked about the cabin blazers, he'd tell us stories about these you know, young Protestant hoodlums from Cabin Township and, uh, and uh, he'd always talk about doing a play
3: That's Susan Newman and Rob Fortam. They're very talented musicians, writers, lyricists, actors, advocates, community organizers, you know, all the things. They spent many a season out at Fourth Line, particularly in the early years, as music directors They were there when it all began
1: Robert was in Edmonton and his mother died. We knew Jean too. We knew, we used to go out there for toboggan parties and stuff, you know. She was great.
5: Play
0: the piano, sing songs.
1: Love to feed ya. But we'd go out there and have toboggan parties. And I can remember sliding down a hill and you think, if we'd ever thought someday we'll try to recreate the Battle of Batoche on this hill it never occurred (laughs) at the time. Um, It's
3: true, it was that hill.
1: yeah, Yeah, it was. And uh, anyway, he, he was in Edmonton and came back. His mother uh, was ill and had died. I remember, do you remember him? We're sitting on the front porch here soon. Yeah. He was saying, I've got this farm. I, I don't know what to do with it. I have to pay the taxes. I'm not a farmer. He says, I can't farm. I don't have any equipment. So, you know, he was kind of at a loss what to do. But he had this script by then, I think. And we did a, quite an intensive workshop, two-week workshop of the cabin That was with Dean
4: Hawes, right? Dean Hawes
1: yeah. led that. Um, yeah, it was funny, because I remember, you know, we were working on this play, and I remember there's a long discussion, he has a scene where the Blazers are sitting around a fire, and uh, people saying, well, how, do you, how would you do the fire on stage, you know? About, and then he brings on act two, and the justices of the peace show up on horseback, and it's like, wait, 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 no. <laughs> I think Literally? this is a movie. <laughs> <laughs> is this a movie? <laughs> and even at that point, we thought, maybe it's a movie. We didn't think what it eventually happened was,
4: did it out there. It was kind of magic. <laughs> it was, yeah.
3: Trying to sell people on a crazy idea like turning a barn into a theater, yeah, it might take a little convincing.
4: No matter what people were telling me, and everybody was telling me, don't do it in a theater. You'll never really accomplish doing it in this kind of an environment. Doesn't make sense, you know. Strictly in theater terms, I can understand their position, but I, the, the themes become deeply connected to the way that it's the way the play's put on. If you do it in that kind of open environment. Not only that, we're doing it in you know the same township where this stuff went on, and on an old farm that's been around for almost two hundred years. So it all made sense. I think I had I had sort of the tools, and I had the energy, and I had the ambition, and I had the. But ultimately, there is a stubbornness saying this is going to happen, and then because you get lots of roadblocks thrown in your way, a lot of people are saying, "Oh, that'll never." Let's not bother, you know. Probably now I'd say, sure, let's not bother. But then I didn't.
3: (laughs) So now we've got the idea. We've got the play. We've got some friends on board. It's Field of Dreams time. If you build it, they will come. Or in this case, if you weed it. Here's Kim Blackwell again.
5: Late May, early June of... 1992, when Robert was in Toronto doing a play with Theatre Columbus and five of us rented a rototiller, his, more his friends, people he'd been creating theatre with. I don't know if i only met him once at this point. I didn't really know him, but we rented a rototiller and it was Brad Brackenridge, Kate Story, Alexis Gordon, God rest his soul, myself and another person. We went out to the farm and we were going to build a big garden, like rototilla big garden. We were going to feed ourselves off the land. Now, I'm just going to point out that by the, by the end of the summer, we got three carrots out of that, that garden. part didn't work, but I was given a pair of rusty hedge clippers and told to start cutting grass. So I walk around the corner of the barn where now you would come in along the brick path there into the barnyard and nothing had been done really in the barnyard since Rob's dad died in the seventies. And there were big boulders. The grass was waist high. There was a piece of farm equipment. And I was given these rusty hedge clippers to cut grass back. And I thought, well, well, no one's going to come here to see
4: anything. And we we got $15,000, which was all we had to do the first season. And that money all went into um, costumes and props and whatever. And then the box office was all split amongst all the people in the show. There were about 50 people in the Blazers. And uh, even babies got an equal share. (laughs)
5: I had Emily, I was playing one of the uh, Catholic settlers and I remember taking, um, running with my baby through the field, running for my life (laughs) through the field and um, yeah, that was the beginning. So it was
3: really fun to play that. Yeah, that was the very first play I ever saw was Cabin Blazers when I was like a couple months old. (laughs) That's Renata and Emily Spazov. Their family of five has been involved in various capacities with the theater since its inception. We're going to hear more from them in a later episode. But right now, let's go back to Kim.
5: All of July, we were rehearsing. Robert would, probably he doesn't want me to tell, but he'd walk along the bleachers we borrowed from the fair- fairground, smoking camel cigarettes. He was so intense. He kept just driving us all, driving us all. We, we couldn't cast the role of the priest. I think three people quit. He finally played the priest, Father Phelan. We couldn't cast the young... Uh, bride, the Catholic bride. So finally the bartender at the only cafe agreed to do it. It was craziness. And so up until a few days before we opened in mid August, like I was like, well, no one, no one is going to come see this. We were sold out before we opened on the Friday that we were doing just six shows for three over three and three over two weekends. We were sold out for those first six shows. Paul Thompson, who's one of the creators of theater pass Mariah came. He told his buddy, at the journal on CBC about it, he came. Then the journal did a big documentary, and we ended up running for six weekends that first
1: year. It was so popular. I mean, Robert was interviewed on the national. You know, they held it over. And... People
0: were seated on hay bales.
1: Yeah,
5: that was the <laughs> seat. That was the seating in the barnyard. Yeah.
1: They would get a tractor and they would haul the uh, the seats from the grandstand at the the Milberg Fellow Fairgrounds and set them up in the barnyard. But they, were, they held it over and the guy, Dan Fewings, played the part of Elijah Coe, the tavern keeper. And he was a teacher and he had to go back to school. He couldn't do the... the so his last night, our show had ended, his last night I went out with a notebook and I followed him around saying, okay, he enters here, he moves furniture here, he, he bangs a this. drum here, he's got a scene here. <laughs> and then the next night, I went and put his stinking costume on, <laughs> filthy costume, and did the part. It was like, wow, it was, it was awesome. It
4: was really fun. <laughs> it was it was just a zoo, and I mean, one of the funniest things probably was it was such a mixture of the local art artists from Peterborough and uh, local citizens from Millbrook, and they're not exactly in the same political realm. Um, and a lot of a lot of community people, like young mums and and single moms and kids, and yeah, it was a real it was a real hodgepodge. Uh, it wasn't elitist, I guess you'd have to say. <laughs> <So>.
3: <laughs> there were lots of talented folks involved in those early years. People who believed there was something special happening out of the fourth line. Something worth giving their time and talent toward. Now, If you've been to a fourth line show, you'll definitely recognize this voice. Now, good sir, just how many shows have you done?
2: Uh, 95, 96, seven That weird one in 98, that show place... 2000, 2005, 2006, 2009, 2010, 2011, 2013, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. So I think that's 17? 17 seasons? Oh yes, yes, I have uh, held on with White Knuckles, uh, the fourth line. (laughs) I'm kind of like the last of my kind.
3: Yep, that's Mr. Matt Gilbert. He's become a bit of a fourth line legend. 17 seasons at the farm. Now that is commitment. It could have been 18 seasons, but uh, ooh, this is awkward. Um, his first audition didn't go exactly as he'd hoped. I
2: auditioned in 94 and I didn't get in because that was the uh, Franey and they were looking for like people who could do like juggling and were gymnastical and that was not me. <laughs> no, I am the most ungymnastic person you have ever met. I guarantee that. Uh, but the ninety five when it was about being able to do a British or Scottish accent and shout loud, that got me in that got me through the door. that was the first production of uh Winzel's the Derivore. I got paid two hundred bucks for the summer, and Bill Kemble uh got me another two hundred bucks to understudy three different roles, so yeah, four hundred bucks for that whole summer. <laughs>
5: And
3: they say you can't make a living in the arts. Pshaw! Another multi-talented artist who was early to the Fourth Line Party is Esther Vincent. She's a set designer, lighting and sound designer, actor, writer, photographer, just another one of those insanely talented people.
0: Ugh! Don't you just hate those people? Pretty much I just rode the wave, I think is the easiest way (laughs) to put it. Um, I was not directly involved in the first show, but almost everyone I knew was. So I did get to go see the very first dress rehearsal of the very first Cabin Blazers and was just blown over and thrilled and mortified and excited and, and, and kind of caught the bug. And so the I guess it would have been the following year or two later, there was an opportunity for me to be uh, an extra, basically. So I just went, OK, fine, I'm going to go out and be an extra. I believe it was the Winslow's of Darevor. I was the Goddess Maka, who was the horse goddess. Which was the other thing that really drew me out, there was an opportunity for me to ride a horse on stage. So I got to deliver a couple of characters to their deaths and cast the death spell on the main character, one of the main characters. It was, uh, it was a thrill, <laughs> all from horseback. Oh, it was great.
3: Can you list the shows you've been a part of?
0: Oh, Lord. Uh, like directly associated with Winslow's of Darebor, Bella Batoche. I think those are the only two that I really got involved in in the early days. Did I do anything else in there? And then the last six, seven years, I've been Bombers. Carmel, Bloom, Who Killed Snow White, the off-season shows, like the Halloween show that I suddenly can't remember the name of, or the three of them, Fool of Cavan. I'm going to stop now, otherwise you're just going to listen to me saying um, over and over and over again. (laughs) Um,
3: Are you maybe forgetting something, Esther? (laughs) Anything at all? You know, say a little show called The Veranda Society? (laughs)
0: Oh, Society, of course. My, that's the only one I've actually stage managed. That's the only time I've stage managed out there. And that was lovely. That was a beautiful little compact show. And it just felt so great with the small group of us just pulling it all together in that crazy hot August. It was so hot.
3: hmm. hmm. Good save, Esther. Good save. to be honest, I love when an idea takes off. Picture ideas floating around in the atmosphere, and when the right person grabs a hold of one and is brave enough to say, I think I'm on to something. Magical things can happen. 30 years of magical things can happen. I'm curious to know more about the people behind the barn. On the next episode of Treading the Barn Boards, we'll get to know the man who lives in the house in front of the barn that became a theater. Mr. Robert Winslow. Let's find out a little more about where he gets his ideas and what makes him tick and what he thinks the future of Fourth Line might hold. And we hear from other folks about Rob.
2: He came in costume the first day of rehearsal. Yeah,
1: he's uh, quirky, funny. He's a, I'd say a,
4: he's a very elemental being.
5: And what
3: do you hope they say, Rob?
4: <laughs> I hope it's like the sandwich they named after me in the pastry peddler, the Winslow, good and cheap. Robert
3: Winslow blazing a trail through cabin next time on treading the barn boards thank you to everyone who shared their stories and to those whose stories i couldn't capture thank you for playing a role in the life of fourth line theater thank you to poddington bear for the music and thank you for listening live theater is back at the barn happy anniversary fourth line theater we'll see you this summer on the stage